and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. Yes, don't forget you can also follow me on Instagram at SpeakADogCast. Now today's ep- uh, episode is phenomenal. Yes, the first segment we have lined up is the what are the most common mistakes in dog training. Yes, we're going to talk more in depth about that and how you guys can avoid some of those mistakes. Then comes adventures with your dog. We'll talk about how to set up a successful adventure with your dog to make sure you guys are having a safe and good time. Then comes the breed of the week, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Reach out to me on social media, whatever you'd like. Send those dog or animal training questions my way. Now, before we get going with today's show, got to give you the answer, or excuse me, got to give you the question, uh, the trivia question for today. Today's trivia question is going to be, what is the most popular breed of dog in the United States? Yes, what is the most popular breed of dog in the U.S.? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the most common training mistakes. So we all want to be successful in training our dogs, of course, and one of the best ways that we can be successful in our training is to avoid some very simple and quite frankly, avoidable mistakes, you know? And you know, I look, we're, we're not perfect, right? We're human. We're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. And especially when it comes to training your dog, you're going to have some speed bumps. You're going to have some mistakes. And I'm here to tell you it's okay. It's absolutely okay to make mistakes. As a matter of fact, I tell my clients, In a roundabout way, I want them to make mistakes because mistakes, they're how we learn. You know, failure is actually a part of the learning process. And that holds true whether it's a person or a dog or a cat or a bird or a monkey or whatever the animal is. We all learn by failing. You know, look, when it really comes down to it, every animal on this planet, they all learn the same way. Every single animal, we all learn and figure out behaviors. They all happen and occur and and. The only reason behavior happens, this is it. You ready for it? This is how every animal functions. They go, the animal's going to go, okay, what I just did, did that work for me? Yes. Okay, I'm going to do that again. Now, the other side of the coin, the animal's going to go, hey, did that work for me, what I just did? No. No, it didn't. Not only that, I kind of don't like what happened, and I really want to work to avoid that. Uh, Definition of an aversive, definition of punishment, anything an animal works to avoid. Uh, (laughs) Right? So they're going to go, I don't like that. I don't want to do that again. No, I'm not going to do that. Behavior is either reinforced or punished, strengthened or weakened. Every animal on this planet works the same way. They're either going to say, hey, this works for me and I want to do it again. Or they're going to go, nah, it didn't really work for me. I don't want to do that again. Right? So we all actually learn through the process of making mistakes. Now, if you keep making the same mistakes over and over and don't learn from them, Eh, you know, hey. Uh, (laughs) So we have to learn from our mistakes. And that's what I want my clients to do. That's what I want you guys to do. I want you to make mistakes with your dogs, but not all the time, right? I want you to learn from those mistakes and grow from them. Now, before I kind of, you know, we, we dive into this a little bit and we start talking more about specifics as far as the most common training mistakes, I'm going to tell you a little story. Now, 
This goes back to when I very, very, very first started training. Uh, I mean, we're talking my literally my very first client. That's that's what the story is about. Uh, it's about my very first client. I remember them very well. I mean, how could I not? You know. And <laughs> look, you know, as I said, when I started my business, I really I had I had a good feel. I had a good feel for training and psychology and animals, but I didn't necessarily have the entire background, the real understanding, the technical understanding of what I was doing, what I was seeing, uh, right? So I made mistakes. I made mistakes. Now, of course, anybody, when you're first starting something, inevitably, you're going to make mistakes. So this first client, again, they they stick out really, I mean, it's just what a memory. But part of me feels bad because I could have done a better job. Of course I could have, right? They were my very first clients. All right. So so let me tell you how I actually, uh, how I met these people. So my wife and I, we had just moved to the Orlando area from Gainesville, from college, Gainesville, Florida. Uh, We moved down to Orlando, Florida. And my wife was starting her career at Disney and I was just starting my business. And I literally had just gotten my cards printed, I think a week or two before that. And I took my dog, Penny Lane. She was my only dog at the time. And she was only about a year or two old at this point. And I took her out and we were going, I went out to PetSmart, local PetSmart. And we were, you know, I was doing some shopping, of course, but hey, I always take advantage of, of going to a pet store and work on some training while we're there, right? Work on some basics. And so that's, that's what we were doing. We worked on a couple basic things, sit, stay, lie down, leave it, right? So I was working her up and down the aisles as I shopped. I would put her in a sit, I'd lie down, a stay, I'd drop her leash, walk away from her, uh, not far, of course, but down the aisle, looking at items, teaching her to leave things alone, uh, you know, okay. So I happen to notice there's this guy watching me, <laughs> not in a stalking way, more in an interested way, uh, but he's watching me. And by the end, I had checked out and I'm about to walk out of the store and I see him again and he looks at me and says, hey, how'd you get your dog to do that? <laughs> you know, I say, hey, I hand you a card. I, uh, I'm a dog trainer, kind of. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Uh, but I handed him my card and said, hey, you know, give me a call. And sure enough, a day or two later, the guy gives me a call and he actually was hiring me for his parents, now, you know, older parents, uh, and they had a boxer. And boy, I'll never forget this dog. And they lived on a couple acres of land, fully fenced. And they had a couple issues with him. Number one, they couldn't control him on the leash. But the biggest problem that they really had with him was they couldn't get him to come back when they let him outside. No recall, right? Wouldn't come back to them. And look, guys, I'm going to admit it to you. I'm going to admit it. I made mistakes with this dog. And I really wish I could have, really wish I could have done things differently. But hey, I didn't know any better. I, I didn't have. Uh, years of experience, knowledge, understands again, you know. Um, so point is, I couldn't get this dog to come back to me. I could not get this dog to recall for the life of me. It didn't matter if we used food. Uh, this dog wouldn't come back to me. The funny thing is I actually didn't want to use food, right? Now, I, at the time, I was very anti-treat. I didn't believe in using them because I didn't believe that you should have to bribe your dog to get them to do something. Now, of course, I have the knowledge and understanding now to know that a treat doesn't necessarily mean you're bribing the dog. We're not getting into that today. Uh, but looking back, man, how many mistakes I made. And I, again, we, you know, we got, we got the dog walking better on leash. He was doing better with his leash work. He was listening better. But that recall just wouldn't happen. Again, after after how many years I've been doing this now, I'm going, David, you dumb dumb. You could have you fixed that in like 10 minutes. And I could have, I, I could have, had I known any better. 
Um, so the point I'm trying to get at here is, guys, I made mistakes. I still make mistakes. I'm a human being. How could I not? Uh, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we're going to make mistakes. But what I want you to do is learn from those mistakes. And man, did I learn from those mistakes early on. Had I not learned from those mistakes, I probably wouldn't be doing this anymore, right? Because I wouldn't have gotten better. And the only way to get better in your training is to learn from your mistakes, okay? So I'm not trying to point a finger at you. I'm not trying to... What I want to do is I want this to help you. I want this to, to lift you up. And, and maybe these are just a couple small things that you're missing in your training. And these are common training mistakes that I see a lot. So you're not alone in it. And, and it's all good. You know, it's all right. Uh, learn from the mistakes. Move on right? That's what dogs do. Love it. They're such great animals. They live in the moment. There's no judgment. It's just, it's what it is, right? So that's what this is today. Let's get to it. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is falling victim to marketing gimmicks. It's the first thing I got to talk about, guys. Stop falling victim to these marketing gimmicks of this magical harness or the magical this or the magical leash or the magical treat or the magical toy or the magical crate or the magical uh, thunder vest or the magical... Now, again, I know there's people out there that go, David, my dog has done well in a harness. David, I can't walk my dog on a collar. David, the Thunder shirt has worked well for my dog. Guys, that's great. That really is. It's wonderful, and I'm very happy that those tools have worked for you. But again, as I always say, as I always say, uh, as a trainer, as a behavior specialist, it's my job to research these tools, use these tools, and find the tool that's going to work best overall. Not 10% of the time, not 20. Guys, if I only if I have a tool that only works 20% of the time and I train different dogs every single day, that's a problem, don't you think? Now, if your single dog that you own at home happens to be one of those 20%, then good for you and your, your problem solved. But my problem 80% of the time is not going to be solved. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? So look, when it comes to these, these gimmicks, these things you see at pet stores, take it with a grain of salt. Do your research on what the product is, why the product was created, and if it actually works and it's not just some BS YouTube video, <clears throat> you know how easily things can be edited, guys. Um, and and it, when it really comes down to it, if you're not sure about a, a certain um, training tool, contact a professional, right? That's always what you should do in the end when you're unsure when training your dogs. Always reach out to a professional if you're unsure. So that kind of brings us to the next thing, and that's using the wrong tools. I would say without a doubt, this is the number one problem I see when I walk into somebody's home uh, to, for a consultation. The wrong training tools, okay? Now, we're not going in depth on all the different training tools today because I've talked about that and lots of segments on that, but you have to use the right tools for the job, okay? Well, I'll skim the surface because it's worth repeating. Uh, Martingale collars with the chain, not the all-cloth martingale collars, and I'm not talking about a choke collar. I'm talking about a martingale collar. Two-thirds cloth, one-third chain. Best collar out there, okay? Six-foot nylon leash, leather leash. Just point is a very simplistic six-foot easy-to-handle leash. No runaway leashes, none of that stuff. Guys, using the wrong tools can get you the wrong result. Think about if you're, you're a carpenter, if you're at whatever, you're building something. If you use the wrong tool to build something, what's going to happen? It's not going to be built very well. And that's what dog training is. You're building something, right? You're building uh, a training foundation. And in order to build that, in order to build upon it, you have to use the right tools. I cannot stress it enough. This is the number one issue when it comes to training mistakes. 
people are using the wrong tools. And so you're not going to get those really awesome results that you're looking for. So you definitely need to be using the right tools. Again, I talked about the basic leash and collar, but if there's any other questions about training tools, make sure you go back, listen to some of my, uh, on my previous segments, podcast segments. Uh, we have some great segments on training tools. So go check that out. Next thing we're going to talk about is poor communication. You know, really that's kind of my job at the end of the day is to sort of be this facilitator between person, between owner and dog, uh, a facilitator with uh, of bridging a gap of communication. Because sure, using a wrong tool is not going to get you success in your training. But if you don't know how to communicate with your dog and you don't know how to use that tool to communicate with your dog, well, then the tool isn't going to do, you know, it's not going to do you very, uh, very much good. So you have to understand how to communicate with your dog properly. Now, this does go into body language, how we hold ourselves. It goes into vocals, how we're using our tone, how we're using our voice, um, and in in what we're trying to accomplish with that, right? Understanding how to communicate with your dog. Well, look, one of the biggest things I've talked about before is, is that people tend to reinforce undesired behaviors and punish desired behaviors and they don't even realize it. That's bad communication. You need to be able to look at your dog's behavior and go, hey, is this something I want to reinforce and strengthen? Yes. Okay, then I'm going to. Okay. Understanding that communication is going to be vital, right? So make sure you know how to communicate with your dog in a cohesive way that's going to get you better results, okay? So, you know, again, marketing gimmicks, using the wrong training tools, bad communication. These are all common training mistakes that I see a lot. Another more kind of specific one giving away food and affection for free. <gasps> I can already hear it, David. You're not going to give them affection and food. Oh, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Guys, how many ways do we have to motivate an animal? Three. We only have three. Food, affection, and sex drive. Now, human beings can use sex drive for motivational purposes, but we can't do that with animal training, all right? So that one's eliminated. I only now have two ways to motivate an animal, food and affection. If you give all of that food and affection away for free, then it's going to mean less to them when you need it to mean something. Guys, it's the only ways to motivate your animal. Do you understand that? Like if you forfeit this, if you just give away, if you give your dog a bowl of food and you let them graze all day, hmm, we've talked about grazing. If you give your dog treats just because 20 times a day, if you just constantly give affection no matter what your dog is doing, if they just jump on your lap uninvited and you immediately start petting them, you're giving away this affection for free and it doesn't mean anything to your dog. And that's a problem. That's a problem. You know, look, I, I don't know about you guys in your relationship with your dog, but in my household, my dogs can't pay the bills. My dogs can't go to work and earn money. Uh, so they need to, lack of a better phrase, earn their keep in another way. Because animals that have a job are fulfilled. And if you just give all this food and affection away for free, your animal, your dog doesn't have a job and they're not going to feel fulfilled. So I can't stress it enough. If you're going to give your dog a treat, ask him to sit. That's it. You don't need anything, but they need to do something for it. Okay. Now, sure. Occasionally, right. You give your dog something for free. And, but if you do that on all, all the time and you create a habit out of it, you create a pattern out of it, your dog starts to learn that, well, they don't really have to do anything to earn anything. So therefore it's just a free for all. Right. So I really, this is, this is a big one to stress that people really just kind of give everything away willy nilly and don't think about the, the motivation. Look, I'll, I'll give you a little example. Somebody I used to know, 
uh, worked at an animal show. He worked at an animal show, um, and he would never look, had the option to take home their dog. We we had the option to take home our dogs at the end of the night. And this specific trainer, he never took his dogs home at the end of the night. And people go, oh, you're so mean. Why don't you want to me, 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 me? But here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. First of all, these dogs are not our dogs. They, they, they belong to the company. They're company dogs. And they're working dogs, right? They have a job. And these dogs were damn fulfilled. I mean, they were, they were some of the happiest dogs I've met because they had a job to do. They really did. And so this guy, so, so let's get, get him back to it. Uh, he wouldn't bring the dogs home at night, but wouldn't you know it, the next day, his dogs would be so happy to see him when he came in. They loved him. And wouldn't you know it, his dogs performed beautifully in show. And not only did they perform well, they loved doing it. And they loved doing it for him because he made them, <clears throat> crazy thought, work for his affection. I can hear some people going, oh, that's so mean. Give me a break, guys. You do the same thing. You don't even realize it. You make your dogs work for your affection. You don't even know it. Okay? So it's incredible when you actually, and that's just it. This guy understood the concepts of psychology and training better than anybody. Better than anybody. That's why his dogs loved him. That's why he had an amazing relationship with them. That's why they wanted to do these. They wanted to work because at the end of the day, animals, every animal on this planet wants to work. We want a job. We want to feel fulfilled. And he gave them that by understanding their motivation and their needs. Isn't that incredible? So I, I, I just this is a big one. Giving that food and affection away just for free? Come on, guys. There's nothing wrong with making your dog work a little bit for to earn their keep. It's a healthy thing, right? It is. Again, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't get anything for free in my life. I have to work for it, work hard, you know? All right, so the last thing we have to tie, the last most common mistake, you ready for it? It's that lack of knowledge and understanding, right? Look, you know, you have to know what you're doing. I mean, that's just, hey, like, you gotta know what you're doing uh, or else it's not gonna work so well. I sort of, I've always kind of compared it, and it's funny because I'm not the biggest math guy, but I sort of compare dog training to like animal training in general. It's like algebra. It's, it, it, it's, it's cumulative. It adds up. You cannot pass a week 10 test. You know, week 10, that knowledge, you cannot pass week 10 without doing weeks one through nine, right? So I kind of view dog training as that. that. That's how it is. You can't just like skip to week 10. I get that a lot where people go, oh, I, wanna, I want my dog to do a recall. Well, that's nice. Does your dog walk on a leash? No. Okay, let's start there. <laughs> okay. It's that lack of knowledge and understanding of how we get there. Lack, and not, lack of knowledge and understanding of how dogs are wired, how they think, how they view the world around them. Because we kind of, you know, we know it. We humanize them. And when we humanize them and when we, we, we put our own emotions onto them, when we put our own emotions onto them, we're not really understanding what they are, you know? We're, we're ignoring what they are and putting our humanization onto them. That's, that's not okay. So you need to have a knowledge and understanding of how dogs tick, just a little bit, right? Little dog psych 101. Uh, and then understanding what a treat is, what a reward is, what punishment is, what redirection is, what a leash is by definition, what a collar is by definition, what affection is by definition. That understanding and knowledge, guys, that's what made me a phenomenal trainer. That's what elevated my training, was knowing what in the world I'm doing. Going back to that first client, you know, I admit it. 
I admit it, I did not have the knowledge and understanding to bring them the success that they needed. I didn't. There's no way I could. I was young. Uh, I was fresh into the business. But I took those mistakes and I learned from them. And more importantly, um, you can only learn from mistakes with knowledge and understanding. I was lucky enough, I was introduced to another behavior specialist who gave me that understanding, who really helped um, hone in what I was seeing and give definition to it. Give me an understanding of what in the world I was seeing. Because I saw it and he, he saw that in me, which was awesome. Uh, he saw that I, I saw something, but I couldn't explain it. And so that knowledge and that understanding, that's what elevated my training. So when I go into a client, when we start training, it's not, hey, you know, hold the leash like this and give the dog a treat and go, yay. No, <laughs> no it's what is a treat? What is a dog? What's a leash? What's a collar? What are these things? And what do they mean to you? And what do they mean to your dog? How does your dog interpret that? What's reinforcement? What's punishment? Right? Always go back to the basics. So even when I start with my clients, I, I, you know, I know sometimes it gets kind of met with like, oh, geez, here we go. It's like school time. We got definitions coming at us. But it's so important, guys. It's so important. It's where I start with every single one of my clients because that's how important knowledge and understanding of training, psychology, and dogs, it is. Okay, so again, you know, just to kind of go back over and review, falling victim to marketing gimmicks. That's one of the first things I always see is, well, we've tried this harness, that harness, this leash, this leash and that leash. Don't fall uh, victim to those marketing gimmicks. If you're really in doubt, ask a professional, right? Uh, because you, you, you'll you Google search and, you know, come on, you're going to come up with 10 different answers telling you what the best tool to train your dog is. Ask a real professional, not the Google professional, right? Uh, second thing is going to be those wrong training tools. Make sure you're using the right tools for the job. Don't forget, check out previous segments on my podcast, all about training tools. We talk more in depth about that. Next thing is going to be bad communication. Make sure you understand how to communicate with your dog, how to hold yourself when you work with them, uh, how to, how to you know, use your tone properly. Communication, really important. Next thing is going to be people giving away food and affection for free. Guys, can't do that. We only have three ways to motivate an animal. Food, affection, sex drive. Can't do anything with sex drive. Leaves us food and affection. Give it away for free. You now have no ways to motivate your animal. So don't forget, make your dogs work in a healthy, happy way uh, for food and affection. The last and one of the most important things is that lack of knowledge and understanding. Definitely a common mistake, right? Uh, as I talked about, I start with that dog psychology 101, giving my clients a real comprehensive understanding of not just what, you know, not just holding a leash, but why they're holding that leash, why they're giving a treat, why they're not giving a treat, all those important details, understanding and knowledge. Knowledge is power, guys. Don't forget that. So try to take these little common training mistakes. And, you know, I, I hope that information kind of helped you. And maybe you can tweak a little bit of your training with your dog and up that training even more. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? we can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. 
For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, adventures with your dog. Now, most dog owners do enjoy taking lots of fun adventures with their dogs. But there are some things you got to think about beforehand, some things you need to be prepared for. Um, you know, I, I just got back from vacation. Then you guys listened to last week's episode. You joined me up in the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, for that episode. Yeah. And I love hiking in the mountains, guys. I really really do. I just, there's just something about it. Maybe look, maybe it's because I'm a little Florida boy. Uh, <laughs> and there is something about escaping to the mountains that is rejuvenating to me. And I can go for a couple mile hike up, you know, 1600 feet. And to me, that is still rejuvenating and relaxing. And it's even more relaxing and even more enjoyable to me when I can bring my dogs. And this last trip, we were lucky enough, we actually got to bring all four of our dogs this time. You know, a lot of times you run into rentals with, they have a maximum dog limit or maximum dog weight. And um, we we were able to connect with the owner of this cabin, explain our situation. You know, look, my wife and I, we don't have kids. Uh, we've got four dogs and we love spending a lot of time with our dogs. Don't get me wrong. I like taking some time off. I'll go on a cruise or something like that. Uh, but we really enjoy adventures, vacationing, hiking, whatever, with our dogs. We really do. And so this cabin owner was very, was, was wonderful. Um, you know, obviously I have credentials to back up that my dogs are maybe a little more well-behaved than the average dog. Uh, because Hey, if I was a rental property, I don't know how, I don't know how easily I'd let someone bring four dogs with them, let alone even two. I mean, <laughs> it's just me. Um, but maybe it's because I know too much about dogs and people with dogs. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, but anyway, Lucky enough, we got to bring all four dogs, right? So, uh, any of you guys that don't know, I have four dogs. I have a, uh, I have a blue tick coonhound named Nemo. He's about two years old now, just over two years old. I have a mix. He's just a mutt and a half. We did a DNA episode about him because we did a DNA check. He's, you know, he's he's a lot of different things. He really is, and he's about a little under sixty pounds. Riker. What a good boy he is. Uh, he is just over a year old. Then we have Violet, who's the, uh, well, I was going to say she's the oldest in my pack, but we don't know that for sure because we don't know the age of my fourth dog. But Violet is a female golden retriever. And then we have Coco, my chihuahua. And that's the one. We don't know Coco's exact age. She was a rescue. And actually, I guess technically all four of my dogs were rescues. Violet was a different, unique rescue situation. I actually did a segment on that. You can go check that out too. Uh, wish I could tell you where that was. That was a little while ago. <laughs> uh, but that was on one of the episodes. Anyway, so we took our four dogs. And first, I want to compliment my Chihuahua. And I want to tell everyone out there who thinks Chihuahuas aren't built like tanks that they are. Um, sure, they're little. They're fragile. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but Chihuahuas are very muscular. And they actually have a lot of endurance if you let them, if you build them up to it. And Coco is used to going on regular walks with us, but Coco's not necessarily used to the elevation. So I have to compliment my little Chihuahua girl because she kicked butt up in the mountains. We didn't take her on anything crazy, no, you know, nothing nuts. But man, she did the elevation well. She was climbing over the rocks. She was in heaven, you know. She was absolutely loving it, which was tons of fun. 
Um, but you know, my wife and I, we just, we had a great time. We really did. We did a lot of hikes. We did some kayaking and it was too much fun. So, okay, let's get back to it. Adventures with our dogs. Uh, maybe I sound more relaxed this week. I feel more relaxed this week. I'm not going to lie. So, <laughs> so adventures with the dogs. The first thing, honestly, guys, you got to think about is the road trip part of it. You got to be prepared on your road trips with your pups. Um, look, my dogs were pretty darn awesome in the car. Again, got to give all four of them a lot of credit because they did that. I think it was about 10 and a half hours total, uh, 10 and a half hour drive. And they did it great. The first thing you need to do is get your dogs tired before you go for that road trip. I know we're going for an adventure. So they need to be tired before that first adventure. (laughs) It really goes a long way, guys. Exercise your dogs a little bit more the days leading up before your trip. And it really can help that road trip be smoother. Okay. Um, you know, if your dogs aren't used to riding in a car for a long period, I highly recommend you start bringing them, bringing them in the car a lot more with you, uh, to try to get them more used to that, you know, bring toys in the car. There's nothing wrong with that. On the road trips, you can bring toys, you can bring treats. You obviously want to give them a nice comfortable area. If you can provide some sort of bedding again, just extra ways to help them feel comfortable in that car that'll, that'll more ensure they're going to want to just lie down and take a nap. Now, being the size, breed, all that kind of stuff. Guys, if you need to put your put a dog in a harness in the car to make them safe, tether them, um, those are all, of course, things you need to take uh, into consideration. Everybody's dog's a little different, different size, all that good stuff. So know your dog and know what you need to do for that. All right. Um, next thing, you know, guys, just be prepared. Make sure you're bringing poop bags. Make sure you're bringing food. Okay. If it's going to be a long trip, you may have to do a meal on the road. I would recommend <laughs> don't feed your dog a big meal, right? Feed them like little small meals, you know? So if you have a cup of food to feed your dog, split it into a quarter cup, four different meals, right? And feed them maybe every hour, hour and a half if you have a really long road trip because you don't necessarily want to give them a very full stomach and throw them right back in the car. If they've been in the car for a long time, sometimes that can lead to an upset stomach. So I recommend feeding them small amounts uh, slowly over a course of time as opposed to their whole meal in one sitting. It really can ease the tummy and help a lot on that road trip. So something you may not have thought about, but trust me, you will thank me when you're not cleaning up barf in the back of your car, (laughs) okay? Um, Which brings me to my next point. Make sure you bring easily accessible trash bags, paper towels, and cleaners, guys. Just in case there are, you know, (laughs) throw up or any other accidents, you're prepared and you can easily clean them up and quick, uh, clean them up quickly. Another thing to consider layer. What do you mean, David? Layer blankets, layer towels. I would layer like three or four layers of blankets and towels underneath the dog bed or underneath wherever they're going to be. That way, if they do have an accident of some kind, you can also easily just take one or two layers, fold them up, put them in the trash bag wash them, deal with them later, whatever you got to do, right? Um, Really helps because then it's not getting in the car and it makes easy cleanup. Okay, little tips in my experience, guys, that I've done this that might go a long way toward making your adventure a little more tolerable for everybody. (laughs) Okay, Um, so again, that road trip is something you got to consider. Get them tired, bring plenty of cleaning supplies, bring food and water, and of course, take those meals down. Cut them down into like a quarter cup at a time so you're feeding them their whole meal over the course of a few hours as opposed to in one sitting, okay? Um, Now, once you get to your adventure location, guys, um, one thing, look, I want to point out, 
And this is that the, the, the owner of the cabin that my wife and I went to, they were very accommodating, letting us bring our four dogs. But you know what? They asked us, and as I point out every time, they asked us to crate our dogs if we needed to leave and leave them there. Now, my dogs are all very well adapted, guys. They don't need to be crated anymore. But you know what? We're in a strange place. Uh, the crate can bring a source of comfort, as that's how I've conditioned it. And these owners, that's what they requested of us. Now, even though my dogs are very well behaved, I'm not going to hesitate to put them in the crate and do what the owner asked me to do. It's not my cabin. It's their rules. And I'm going to stick by that. Okay. And we did. We <laughs> I wish I regret not taking a picture of my car loaded down. You should have seen it, guys. We fit my, right, my wife, myself, four dogs, all of our stuff. We had the car loaded up in the back. We had a roof cargo carrier and I had a hitch carrier with four crates bungee down. You bet your butt. Got to do what you got to do. Um, <laughs> this is why it's important to crate train your dogs, guys. Okay. So um, anyway, <laughs> getting back to it, once we got to our location, I needed to make sure I have crates. I have what I need uh, to be able to set myself and my dog dogs up for success. And of course, respect the property that we're on, respect the cabin and the owner's uh, rules and boundaries as they should have. All right. So once we get going on the adventures, guys, I can't stress this enough because I see it too often. I see it too often where I see owners out on these big hikes with their dogs and the owner doesn't have a water bottle with them. The dogs aren't carrying a backpack with water and they're out on these hikes. And I'm going, my goodness, guys, look, it, it, this isn't just like a me kind of wagging a finger and trying to be like, oh, Mr. Safety Patrol here. This is a realistic thing. One of the most common ways that dogs and people die on hikes is dehydration. That's probably the most common. Honestly, I didn't even Google, but I know it is. Uh, it's one of the most common, if not the most common way. Okay, so I, I can't stress this enough. Even if it's only a couple miles, if there's elevation, you know, you, you don't know. You might get tired. Your dog might get tired. What if you snap an ankle on the way up and you're going to be up there for a couple hours and the sun is beating down on you? What if your dog snaps their ankle and you got to carry your dog down? Okay, these are things you've got to think about. Sure, they're not likely to happen if you're careful and, and you go about, you know, hiking responsibly, but these things could happen. You know, I was, I, I don't know every hiking trail that I'm on when I'm going up to the Blue Ridge Mountains in Georgia, so I have to be prepared. And I did. I found myself on a hike with two of my dogs that was a little more, it was a moderate hike, but I feel like there should be, you know, a moderate rating of like low, moderate, moderate, and high, moderate, <laughs> because this was definitely more on the high, moderate side, you know? And I found myself out there with my two dogs. I'm going, man, you know, you could easily twist an ankle, but you know what? I also have my doggy first aid kit with me. Okay. So the first thing you need to bring up with you on a hike, always guys, I don't care how short of a walk it is. I don't care how well you know the trail, bring water with you. Isn't it better that you have it not need it than have needed it and not have it? Please, please bring enough water with you. You know, look, the other day I went for a hike. Um, it, it was a little, you know, we're getting, we're getting to the time of year. This is right at the cusp of it. We're in Florida. Um, you know, you cannot go out for a walk in the middle of the day. You just can't. And I went down to the state park and we got about a quarter of the way through the walk. And I said, guys, we're calling it because I had run through a lot of my water. I could tell my dogs were getting hot. And I said, no, we got to turn back. I did what was best and safe for myself and my dogs. Didn't have enough water on that walk. Even if I had enough water, I think I still would have turned around. It's just too damn hot. Okay. But I made sure I had enough to get me there and get back. 
you also need to make responsible decisions too, right? Okay, that should be an obvious one, but gotta say it. Uh, so guys, bring water with you. And the next thing is again, going back, bring that doggy first aid kit. Okay, there's some really basic stuff in there that can really go a long way toward helping your dog. God forbid a bad situation, emergency situation arises. Um, you gotta be careful and you gotta be prepared. So in that doggy first aid kit, got some really basic stuff. Uh, you know, we've got like... Uh, um, uh, antibacterial wipes. We've got an ACE bandage. Yeah, just in case, you know, someone rolls an ankle. Um, we have Band-Aids, bandages, all different kinds of great, great things in there. Some of them can even be used for me, you know, myself. That's the cool thing. Uh, a lot of these doggy first aid kits actually have multi-use things that are be great for the dog and for myself. So I threw this little doggy first aid kit in my backpack and boom, there it is. It stays in the hiking backpack. I don't even have to think about it because I know it's there and it's always there if I ever need it, Okay. I know these sound like kind of Boy Scout type things, guys, but um, hiking is is a serious way you can get injured. Something as simple, like I said, as a twisted ankle and you're on the side of a mountain and you need that water, you need that first aid kit. So those are the two things I think that are more important than anything. Obviously, the water is more important than the first aid kit, uh, but those two combined are really going to be a lifesaver if you need them. Okay. Um, now one other thing I wanted to comment on, and I have to compliment, uh, people up in, up in Northern Georgia, up there in the Blue Ridge mountains on all of my hikes, I saw quite a few dogs and not one single dog was off leash. Did you hear me? Not one single dog that I encountered the entire time I was up there was off leash. Not one. Yet I go for a walk at one of my local parks here And literally every single time I go, multiple dogs off leash that are not well trained and that are not listening to their owners. I think the, <laughs> I think the reason why I think I have it figured out. You ready for it? Because you can't fall off the side of a mountain in Florida, but you can fall off the side of a mountain in northern Georgia. So I think people want to have their dogs leashed because God forbid their dog runs over or fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's gotta be it. It's the only differentiating factor, uh, that I can think of other than maybe people are a little more respectful in the South. I don't know. Um, we'll see. (laughs) Well, I don't know. We'll see. Oh my goodness. But I have to compliment everybody up there that was on the trails because everybody was very respectful with their dogs. And I just, I really appreciate that. Um, Look, it's sad story, guys. Sad story. I'm, I'm not sad story, but it's sad that she said this. Uh, I was on a hike. I think that was the hike that I I ended up turning around on. Uh, But I was on a hike. I had five dogs with me and it's not even a very wide, it's not a very wide trail. Um, But I have control of the dogs. So I'm comfortable with five dogs on a narrow trail because I know I have control of these dogs. Anyway, uh, there's a woman who's jogging and she's jogging by me. She's, she's coming in, you know, toward me. I'm going toward her. And as she's jogging by, she goes, Oh crap. What did she say? <laughs> now I'm going to butcher it. Um, she said, uh, what did she, spe- I'm trying to think of what she specifically said. Oh yeah. It was, wow. What well-behaved dogs and they're leashed too. Isn't that sad that she has to make that comment? Like I get it. I wanted to be like, lady, I, I feel you. I feel bad for this woman because she's probably out jogging and comes across uncontrolled, unleashed dogs. And it interrupts her jog. She probably has to stop, ruins her rhythm. That's the point. Leash up your dogs, guys. It's not rocket science. And it's kind of, you know, you got to be considerate of other people. You have to be. 
We need to be considerate of each other. And to me, it's it's just, it's a safety thing first and foremost for your dog, for yourself, for other dogs, for other people. Please leash up your dogs when you're out on a walk, okay? Um, I just, I have to stress that one today. When you're out on an adventure with your dog, unless you're in a designated area, unless it's allowed, you need to be leashing up your dog. And guys, even if it is allowed, I, if you don't have control over your dog, they need to be leashed up. It's that simple. It's that simple. It really needs to be that way. Okay. So I want you guys to have fun with your dog and dogs and go out and have great adventures. But you've got to think of safety first. You have to. Uh, it's just, I can't stress it enough. The water and the first aid kit. To me, those are the most important things. Now, if you're really going for a really, 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 really long walk, of course, you need to bring some dog food with you. Uh, bring some food for yourself. Guys, be smart on these walks. Be smart on these hikes. Make sure you got a brain strapped to your shoulder when you're doing this stuff. And it's not just fun, but we're having fun and being smart about it. Okay. I know little boy scout talk today, but you got to do what you got to do to keep yourself and your dog safe when you're out on those adventures. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Otter Hound. The Otter Hound is a member of the Hound Group. Males come in weighing 115 pounds, with females at 80 pounds. The Otter Hound is a large, even-keeled, and affectionate dog. This rare breed is known for their acute sense of smell as a scent hound, as well as their love of swimming. They are a capable dog on land or in the water, and have the rare quality in a hound of having webbed feet. With a big and broad chest with muscular shoulders, they were bred with the endurance to swim all day long. Their specific job is, of course, to hunt otters, so their nose is amazingly sensitive, and they have the ability to track an otter scent underwater or on land for great distances. They do well with families and can be affectionate with kids. The breed does have a lot of energy, though, so they will do best with wide-open spaces to smell and run. They will also need daily walks to keep them happy and stimulated. For a large breed, the Otter Hound is relatively healthy. They can be susceptible to hip dysplasia as well as bloat, but kept in good health, the Otter Hound can live to be 10 to 13 years old. The Otter Hound traces its origin back to England. Otters were decimating fish populations, and there was a need for a dog that could track and hunt them. Otter hunting was mostly enjoyed by nobility and was first mentioned in the 12th century during the reign of Henry II. However, the Otter Hound was not specifically mentioned as a breed for another 200 years. Now, at first, terriers were used to flush otters out from their dens. Once the otters made it into the water, the otter hound took over from there. Otter hounds were so amazing at their job, they could stay on the trail for 12 hours and swim and wade in water for up to 20 hours. But unfortunately, they may have actually been too good. The otter hound nearly hunted otters to extinction. Otter hunting actually became illegal in England in 1982, but before that, the otter hound was a favorite of many of the kings and one queen, such as Edward II, Henry VI, Richard III, Henry VIII, King John, Charles II, Edward IV, Henry II, Henry VII, and Elizabeth I. Otter hounds made their way to the U.S. in 1900, and the Otter Club of America was founded in 1960. They were not recognized to the AKC until 1991. Now, the, rare, uh, the otter hound is one of the rarest breeds in the world, as there are less than 800 of them worldwide. The majority of the dogs do live in England and the United States. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the most popular breed of dog in the United States? It's the Labrador Retriever. Yes, of course, the Lab. It always remains one of the top, if not the number one dog spot of the most popular dog breed in the United States. 
Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jan from Houston, Texas. Jan says, my dog nibbles on my arm from time to time. It doesn't hurt and he only does it to me and my husband. But should I not let him do that? Jan, this actually sounds like it is affectionate to me. Um, It's sort of a, you know, and again, I can't see what's happening. So this is just sort of my assumption off of what I'm hearing. Uh, Being that he does it to nobody else but you and your husband, that automatically means, you know, either he's controlling you uh, or it's affectionate. Now, I'm not going to go with the controlling side because uh, dogs will actually make like a suckling right? Uh, on their owners that they really love, that they're really attached to. If anything, it's actually a compliment to you. And it says that you have a good relationship with your dog. Uh, now if it's, if it's like the front teeth, right? If it's the front teeth and they're sort of like almost chattering in the way that they nibble on you, that's an affectionate nibble. Of course, keep it within check. Make sure he's not taking it up too much. Make sure it doesn't turn into more than that. Keep it within me, but that's acceptable. Um, you know, my, my dogs, Penny and Colby always used to do that to us. Um, we had them since they were puppies, you know, we raised them from puppies. And a lot of times, especially when you raise them from a young age, uh, they tend to associate that sort of motherly, you know, puppy instinct and they'll suckle on you like that as an affectionate, uh, sort of thing. Um, so that's actually really awesome and not everybody gets that. So consider yourself honored. And again, kudos to you because it means you've done a good job forming a good bond with your dog. Next question. This comes from Jill from Boston. Uh, Jill says, my dog has always been scared of fireworks, but recently we were camping and somebody was setting off fireworks next to us all night long. He would start to hide and pant and didn't want to take any treats from us. He was still freaked out the next day after we left, but has since calmed down. And we like to camp a lot and don't want him to associate it with fireworks. How can I help him get through it? Jill, this is a tough thing. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest. This is a tough thing to solve because fireworks don't just go off every day. It's not something we can start to try to get our dog used to. uh, And that's part of the problem. You know, that is part of the problem is the fact that they don't happen all the time. And so that makes it almost more terrifying when it does. Uh, You know, look, I know you said you, you you were trying to give him treats. Honestly, one of the worst things you can do in that moment, if they're scared, is to try to feed them or try to give them affection. We don't want to reinforce that behavior. Um, look, it's 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 a tough thing. I'm just gonna, like I said, I just want to be honest. This is not always an easy thing to solve. Now, being that this was a one-off thing with camping, let's hope that he won't make that association. However, sometimes traumatizing experiences. Yeah, they they can off of one experience he might go back camping. That might happen. Now it sounds to me like you were also because you kind of sent me a message and we, you know we we're chatting about it a little bit. It sounds to me like you guys have a camper. So if you have a camper, um, what you want to do is try to get him back in the camper before you guys ever go for a trip again. Bring him into the camper, let him eat some food in there, maybe do some playtime in there while it's maybe sitting in your driveway. You know, I don't know if you store it at your house or wherever it is, but if you can bring the camper around him and let him experience some good experiences in the camper with not camping, that can start to get you back in the right direction. But, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's all just conditioning, as you know, and you already know this, it's conditioning. How do you recondition it? It's tough. You can try to go to go the method and, and this doesn't always work. And that's why I say try, uh, you can try to play fireworks noises on a big stereo in your house, start slowly, start with it not blasting, uh, start with it at a minimal volume and see if he's relaxed enough that you can try to maybe run through some commands, 
while he's hearing those fireworks noise at a low volume. See if you can distract him enough to redirect is really what we're doing. We're trying to redirect that focus away from the fireworks, uh, fireworks sets, and see if you can't run him through some basic commands, keeping that brain active so he can't hone in on the noises. Then you can start to bring up the noises of the fireworks as you work with him more and more, and you can recondition it, okay? Now, like I said, some dogs, it doesn't always work because some dogs don't react to the artificial noise. Uh, so you kind of have to play with that one, you know, I'll be honest. Um, but look, short of going out and buying a bunch of fireworks <laughs> and trying to recondition it, it's tough. It is, it's tough. Uh, but a couple tips, when he does freak out, don't try to coddle him. And actually, I know this might be tough, but you almost need to ignore the behavior. If you can try to not let him hide, leash him up, don't drag him out, you know, don't make it a bad experience, but try to bring him out of the bathroom and then drop the leash and then close the door to the bathroom and, and ignore him, okay? He might be freaking out a little bit, but we don't want to coddle him because if he's freaking out and you give him any affection, or you coddle him or it's okay, or you try to reason with him, and again, I don't know that you're doing this, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Um, if we do try to do those things, it could actually end up making his anxiety worse. This is one of those moments where a little tough love can go a long way. Now, at the same time, you know, look, fireworks, are, like I said, I, you know, I'm just going to keep repeating. This is a tough thing to fix. <laughs> okay. So it's not this easy black and white fix. What I would recommend, like I said, is trying to go the route of reconditioning it with a controlled noise, controlled fireworks noise on your stereo and try to go that route. The only time we want to bring food into the picture is if he's relaxed if he's at least, even if it's a, a little smidgen of relaxation, uh, that's really the only time I want to bring the food out because again, we only want to reinforce relaxing behaviors in those moments. We don't want to try to bring out treats to to reinforce the anxiety. No, I know he wasn't taking them, but okay. Um, so I would start there and then work it up to getting him back in the uh, back in the camper when you guys aren't camping, feeding time, play time, do some good things in there that are gonna make him happy to wanna be in the camper. And then ideally, just don't make a big deal about it. On your next camping trip, don't try to coddle him, don't try to reason, just don't make it, just go camping like you always do and pretend like the fireworks never happened because we're gonna hope that he won't associate it with that, okay? Uh, one other thing you might wanna try to do before your next camping trip, get him really tired before you go, okay? Get him nice and tired so that way he's gonna be a little more calm, a little more apt to be in a good state of mind uh, so he doesn't wanna get anxious. So uh, try those tips. I know this is a little bit of a tough thing to handle, uh, to work through, um, but try that and see if that works out for you. <music> That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. Check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>